the, the brain of all mammalian species that we've studied, without exception, contains the same amount of DHA and arachidonic acid, um, the same profile is consistent throughout all mammalian species today. Point really being is that you could not build a brain without it. Simple as that. DHA not only responsible for building the brain, they're also responsible for switching on brain genes. In 2005, the European Union uh, carried out an audit of health costs and brain disorders came top of the list at 386 billion euros. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today, we have Michael Crawford on the line. Michael is a professor at the Imperial College of London. He's the director of the Institute of Brain Chemistry and Human Nutrition, an expert in DHA and brain health and lipids. And I'm really excited for this conversation. And Michael and I have been talking back and forth the past few weeks. So it's it's great to finally meet face-to-face via the internet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. By the way, I'm well retired, so I'm a visiting professor, not a standard okay. professor. There, there we go. Yeah, anyway. That's right. Visiting professor. I know every college is um, different with their designations, but yeah. Um, that's really cool, and it's yeah, it's just exciting um, to to talk to. I guess I would say the the world expert in, in DHA and kind of the interactions with with our brain. And this right. is something that I've I've read a lot of your papers, and this is something that has kind of come up in the health world quite a bit. It was profound for myself, actually in my healing journey. So the reason why I got so obsessed with health is because I had one too many concussions and uh, using um, some, some DHA helped my healing journey quite a bit, upping that in my, in my diet. So first, firsthand experience on the power of it. But really, I guess I wanted to start off with kind of the historical context and, and we'll kind of dive deeper into this. But Really, at a high level, there's this ongoing debate um, with anthropologists, scientists overall about how humans gained in- intelligence, um, consciousness, and really developed um, you know large functioning brains in that prefrontal cortex. Many cite you know fire as the inflection point, um, you know getting more calories for for less effort from our diet. There's a whole slew of theories, but also well, one of very them. Smart by the time fire came, it was yeah, yeah. So, so the question is, <laughs> yeah, the, the the question is DHA and, and seafood is is another big theory, and and I believe that's your perspective. And you've been okay. quoted as saying the crucial point is is that without a high DHA diet from seafood, we would have never developed, you know, our large, highly 
conscious, uh, intelligent brains. So Absolutely. maybe you can elaborate on, on that a little bit. Well, the brain evolved in the sea between 500 and 600 million years ago. Um, now, the only thing that was available for the construction of its visual system, and it all started with the visual system, uh, once the um, uh, uh, rain of the blue-green algae and all the rest of it was over, and there's enough oxygen to come into the environment, and everything like started. Um, the photoreception started with um, the trapping of a photon and converting it into electricity instead of converting it into carbohydrates and proteins. And we're pretty sure that the molecule that did this was glucosahexanoacacid or DHA. We've got data from uh, dinoflagellates, for example, which have an eye spot and very similar to, to the um, what would have been one of the, the first single cell systems that eventually evolved into the rest of the thing. Um, and the dinoflagellate is stuffed full of DHA. And it not only has DHA uh, with its eye spot, it also has a molecule which has got two DHAs in it, which is most unusual. And the only place you really find this in any significant quantities is in the eyeball. Is in the photoreceptor of your eyes, my eyes, and everybody's eyes today. And there it was 600 million years ago. And we believe that it was actually the key to converting photons into electricity, which kick-started the evolution of the nervous system, which as things wore on and on and on and on, and you had the um, Cambrian explosion and so forth, uh, the nervous system turned in, in one line into the central nervous system, which is our brain. Now, that all happens in the sea. Now, there were no land-based nutrients there at all. It was all marine stuff. The only stuff that could be used to build that new brain and nervous system was marine. And we still, we know today that... Um, and we, we demonstrated this back in 1971, and that the, the brain of all mammalian species that we've studied, without exception, contains the same amount of DHA and arachidonic acid, um, the same profile is consistent throughout all mammalian species today. And with DHA performing this function in vision, we know about this, and in signaling systems in the nervous system today. So uh, the, the point really being is that you could not build a brain without it. Simple as that. And um, so the only way you would have been able to get it in, in really large quantities that needed to power the epigenetic process to expand the, the central nervous system, the only way you, place you'd be able to get it is at the seaside. You could get it from freshwater stuff as well, but um, the, the seaside would have been the most richest. And in those days, you know, you have a, a pregnant lady uh, 
the men would go off hunting, perhaps, trying to find some, some meat or something like that. And all she had to do, heavily pregnant, would be to wander around the coastline and have a feast of seafood for free, with very little energy expenditure appropriate to even the last period of her pregnancy when it would be, it becomes difficult for ladies to move about in great quantities. Uh, significant amount. So it it, it is it's just so logical, and it fits with all the other stuff that um, people have been talking about. Alistair Hardy, the physiology, human physiology, the fact that we have um, we're hairless, um, like the marine mammals, that we have a diving reflex, that we 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 have we sweat, we have eccrine glands, and. Um, Eccrine glands are really, really not a, a great idea if you're living on the savannas of Africa, for example, because in fact most of the savanna animals um, uh, actually allow their temperatures to rise during the day and fall at night, and that that is not what we do. We we expend water to keep our bodies cool, and doing that in Africa, we, we when I was working in East Africa. Um, we, we discovered on our safari one on occasion where we got severely dehydrated. We were well, physiologist Peter Wright. We took a, a, a journey into the hot safari and um, measured water loss, and we were losing water at 1.5 liters an hour. Wow! So, um, and funnily enough, um, this has been. This, the same number has come up by people who are interested in desert warfare, that they, the, the soldiers lose one and a half liters an hour when they're operating in the desert. So um, it, it's the savanna, hot, dry savannas are not a hospitable place. And when you look at the brain evolution of all the animals that lived on the savanna, what you find is that the little ones, the hyraxes and things like that have a very high brain to body weight ratio. Um, and they can make DHA from the primary precursor, which is alpha-linolenic acid that occurs in green foods. And they can make it, but it's a tedious and long-winded, slow process to make it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Andrew Sinclair and I showed this in way back in the 70s that it was really a severely rate limit. Uh, and if you, we, we did double isotope studies that shows that the efficiency of incorporating DHA into the developing brain was an order of magnitude greater than its synthesis from this parent. So when you get move into the area of animals and start growing fast, um, the velocity of body growth and protein acquisition outstrips the ability to synthesize DHA. So what you find, and we reported all of this in the 70s, what you find is that these animals have in their liver stores um, and muscle stores and everywhere throughout the body very little DHA. They, in fact, have the precursor for DHA, but the, the last step is it really they don't make it. So the fact of the matter is that these animals now have very small brains. You take a rhinoceros, for example, and gets all the protein it needs from the simplest food, namely grass, uh, and, and 
it achieves a one-ton body weight increment from birth in four years. But it only has about 350 grams of brain inside this huge body. So the, the, without exception, as animals' velocity of growth increased and they got bigger and bigger and bigger on the savannas, so brain size in relation to the body just simply plummeted. And that would not be at all good for Homo sapiens. So if, 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 if you want to find some um, similar kind of, of high velocity of brain growth, the only place you'll find it is in the marine environment. We have the dolphin with 1.7 kilograms of brain. 1.7 kilograms of brain. And uh, it's actually got a bigger brain than we have. Uh, but it only uses half of it, of course, because it, uh, one half has to sleep. Otherwise, if the whole brain slept, it would drown. So it only effectively uses 750 grams of brain at, at any given time. So, um, but it, 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 the marine mammals are the only mammals uh, on the planet that actually come anywhere near us with regard to brain capacity. And so uh, the answer is that we simply had to um, have access to the marine food environment. And the way we describe it is that we uh, evolved having the best of both worlds, the marine environment and the land-based food, food web. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. Yeah, and the to me, the, the dolphins, the orcas are prime examples of probably the most, I guess, sentient beings aside from ourselves, the most intelligent innately that are also very large. Um, so that to me, that makes a lot of sense. But I guess... The question is, what what differentiated us to mammals like that, and you know, other species in in the marine world? Like, how did how do we accelerate to such a level of of consciousness? Was it just this combination of of a high DHA diet plus just getting out of the water and, and taking advantage of what's on the land? Like you're saying, kind of this this perfect storm, and and of course, this is you know. We don't know anything for certain, but I'd imagine it was kind of a, a multifactorial approach with DHA as yeah. kind of the foundation, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are other things in the marine food web that are absolutely critical for brain evolution and maintenance, and that is all the trace elements. Uh, mm -hmm. Iodine is yeah. the best example. Iodine deficiency causes severe mental retardation. Um, the uh, um, uh, zinc, selenium, copper, and manganese, are, and iron as well, are, are used in enzyme systems that are responsible for protecting the brain against oxidative damage and protecting DHA in particular, but DHA is very sensitive to peroxidation. Um, and and um, the, 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 the richest sources of these uh, trace elements, again, are in the marine food web, particularly in the filter feeders like mussels and oysters and things like that. Um, so it, it's not just um, 
DHA that you get that's of importance in the marine food web. But then the land-based food web comes into it as well because there's a substance called arachidonic acid which you get in in meat. And it it is a a, um, a co-brain builder with DHA. And so, in fact, we're we getting the best of both worlds. Uh, the, the marine mammals have a difficulty in getting hold of arachidonic acid for the brain. Arachidonic acid is not involved in the signaling system. It's involved in the astrocytes, which are there's just about as there are many astrocytes in the brain as there are neurons. But the astrocytes are responsible for maintaining myelin and um, looking after uh, the, the whole of the brain, in fact, and making sure that the the neurons are properly fed and looked after, et cetera, et cetera. So the astrocytes were, in fact, a limiting factor so far as the, um, uh, the, the, the sorry, the arachidonic acid was a limiting factor so far as the marine mammals were concerned, which had plenty of stuff for all the signaling that was going on, which is what DHA does. But um, uh, using both land and marine resources, in, in, in a balance of roughly one-to-one, using that, that in, enabled Homo sapiens to uniquely develop uh, this huge brain. Yeah, that's so fascinating. And, and something also I think about perhaps um, is our access to the sun. Just if we left the water um, and then we're getting, you know, that direct sun exposure as well. And yeah. like you mentioned, the... The, the ability for for DHA and and the ability for the um, dinoflagellants to capture the photonic energy, which I believe back you know during the Cambrian explosion, the UV exposure was was pre pre Cambrian explosion. The UV was was far higher, right? Because there was oh, no yeah. now that's ozone. an important point. That's yeah. a very important point because I didn't mention it, but thank you for mentioning it. Um, there was no ozone layer, of course, at the, in the Vendian of the early uh, Cambrian. Um, and, and so, yes, the, the life was exposed to the full in, uh, UV from the solar radiation. And interestingly, that dichosahexanoic acid DHA that we talked about as, as capturing the photons, it absorbs in the ultraviolet. Mm. So it's totally consistent that DHA was the original chromophore. And when the ozone layer formed and um, uh, things changed um, after these, what is called the Cambrian explosion, um, when, when that happened, of course, nature had to find another solution for um, uh, <laughs> photoreception, which she did with vitamin A. But DHA is still in there as it is still a major component in the um, uh, in phototransduction. And in fact, we've just got a paper coming uh, accepted for publication in Entropy in which we are uh, discussing this whole issue about the, um, the DHA is functional in the, the, the last transfer of, of the energy from the photon into electricity that yep. is trans transfers the information to the brain. Yeah, yeah, and and that gets me really excited. And I mentioned 
to you as well that I want to dive into that, but I want to stay maybe higher level for now um, and then right, go into yeah. the quantum quantum biology aspect of it later, which is really what I get um, excited about. But but here we are and we've left the sea. We now have this perfect environment for developing consciousness, developing um, brains that that are capable of that. And then we we see this continued growth in, in brain size up until maybe a few thousand years ago, the the modern hunter-gatherer. And then we see kind of this strange reduction in brain size to where we are today. And that's something that's always piqued my interest. And I asked you this question over email before I even realized that you had just kind of published a book on this exact topic called The Shrinking Brain, which is so incredible. So does this have to do, you think, with the reduced consumption of DHA and these other cofactor nutrients? Um, or yeah. is it just a recipient, you know, it's a almost direct certain, result? It's, it's almost yeah. that's the case. I mean, Lee Broadhurst was one of our co-authors, considers that the really um, critical point was the development of land-based agriculture and um, domestication of, of land-based mammals. Uh, it, it, um, it, it's interesting because <clears throat> you see that the, the chimpanzee has got what, what about 340 cc's cranial capacity, and that's where we started from. And so there was this, there was this huge pressure of nutrients that were DHA not only responsible for building the brain, but it's also responsible. The, the group in Szeged in, in Hungary has shown this. They're also responsible for switching on brain genes. Mm-hmm. So it actually is, is overwhelming because it's actually helping to expand the brain by switching on the genes that are important for its growth and development, as well as building the signaling systems that enable you to see, think, come um, downstream, do all the things that we do and for our co- cognition and so on. So it, it's it's really a, a very simple concept that DHA was uh, irresponsible for the signaling systems and arachidonic acid for supporting the nutrition of it and everything. So we, we come round to the um, <clears throat> HERTO, which is about uh, 160,000 to 200,000 years ago. And cranial capacity of the people in HERTO um, was about 1,450 cc's. And um, for quite a long time, I thought, well, you know, that's, that's, that's pretty big. And it's even a little bit bigger than, than what we have today. But when you come down to Cro-Magnon, um, you, it, it, this is 28,000 to 32,000 years ago. It's a completely different story. You've got reports of cranial capacities between 1,500 and 1,700, the size of dolphin. 1,700. And today, and today we're at 1,300. Today it's 1,336. That's the average. It, um, and this is a very significant uh, loss. And it, it is. It, it has to be because we've. Um, turned our turned ourselves away from this dependence on the marine food web, 
don't forget that if you think about us in, in poor old Britain, we're an island nation, and, and mm-hmm. our, our, our islands and the whole history, the rule Britannia, et cetera, et cetera, and the empire for what it was worth, was all built on, on the fishing ships, all started from the fishing ships. Queen Elizabeth, uh, in her day, Queen Elizabeth I, 50% of her income came from the cod and the fishing. And um, this is all gone. And you, you can pick up a, 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 a sort of a detective story today about the islands of Scotland and so on. And what you find is them talking in these detective stories about it once was a fishing port, once was a fishing village, once was. And it's all around the UK, once was. And um, it, it, we forget because people have short memories. And also, people, young people, don't know. Uh, I'm old enough to remember that when we went for a, a posh meal in a restaurant, we always had a four-course meal. We had uh, uh, something to begin with, a starter. Then we had a fish course. Then we had a meat course. And that reflected, in a sense, our evolutionary history. And, and that's all gone. And funny enough, the the, <laughs> the starters, the, we were all um, prawn cocktail was all just my favourite starter in those days. But um, and and we used to have uh, um, fish for breakfast. We'd have herring or or, or um, something of that sort. Not every day, of course. But uh, and and even the land-based food was was um, uh, much better. Produced and said, you take chickens for argument's sake. Chickens, as I mentioned, these small mammals can make DHA. Chickens can make DHA. Um, and they, but they only can make it if they get access to the green food and the sleep slugs and other things that eat the green food. And uh, we were asked uh, in 1972 by the Royal College of Physicians. Jerry Shaper was doing a report on diet and heart disease, and we were asked to do some analysis of food at the time. So we measured the DHA and all that, and arachidonic acid, and the amount of fat and saturated fat, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, in a whole bunch of foods for him. And chickens in those days had 170 milligrams of DHA per 100 grams of food. In 2000, and I think it was 2002 or thereabouts, we were, there was a meeting, a scientific meeting, and one of my staff thought it would be a good idea to present some data on modern composition of foods. And he analyzed chickens, and there was only 25 milligrams, down from 170. And this then, we then, more recently, we had ITV, we had a lot of television interest in BBC and, and um, a whole bunch of, of, of um television people doing programs on this fall in the DHA content of, of, of chicken meat. And um, <clears throat> later, more recently, um, we measured it for ITV, and it was down to 13 milligrams. Now, this is very elementary because, of course, the 95% of the chickens eaten today are produced in factories. Yeah, eating and soy. Made, they don't get any soy, access. Soy and corn. Yeah, yeah. Or, or the Fred is corn, or, or something similar, and um, 
so that's just one aspect of it. Now, if you take the um, uh, the fish landings in in 1950, uh, the fish landings in the UK were, were about a million tons of fish were landed by our, our fishing fleet. And incidentally, during World War II, the only thing that wasn't rationed was the major food, food uh, products was fish and seafood. Fish and seafood were never rationed. Meat, butter, and milk and all. No, not milk, but meat, meat, butter, and all that kind of stuff was heavily rationed. But fish and seafood were not. By 1950, after the war, we landed one million tons of fish into the UK. 2019, it was down to 600,000 tons. But there was an increase of population of 30%. That means the per capita landing was down by 40% in this short time from 1950 to 2019. And during this time, um, you would ask, does it matter? And you look at the work done by the University of Bradford, and, and what they show is that IQ has been falling consistently since 1950. So we're in serious trouble. Yeah, to me, it's an alarming trend that we're consuming far less DHA, far less nutrients, um, especially with the modern food system. But something I'm curious about, because we're talking about this brain size, and you give these data points of, you know, 25, 30% higher brain capacity around 30,000 years ago compared to today modern or not modern uh early agricultural societies mesopotamia things like that started maybe ten thousand years ago um is is that brain size has that been kind of the same the brain capacity for the past ten thousand years or has it continued to go down since um five ten thousand years ago i guess since the last ice age well, I think I, I don't know. I mean, the, the data is just um, odd yeah. bits here, yeah, here yeah. and there, and it's not really sort of uh, satisfactory. But but um, the the assumption is that, that really that the turning point could have been started before the, the fully we fully became agricultural. But the starting point was about ten thousand years ago when um, uh, the people decided that the Enough was enough, and uh, couldn't be bothered with this hunting and gathering. And probably resources were diminishing on land as well, and so they developed um, agriculture and um, um, animal husbandry. And that, that would most people think that it was this turning point. That makes sense, and 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 I'm just asking because I still think there's a stark difference, as you're saying, maybe today compared to just a few hundred years ago. Um, so I think we haven't even felt that full brunt, but what you're saying is IQ is continuing to drop. So is this something that's directly correlated um, IQ and DHA consumption? And I believe oh, yes. that it, oh, it is oh, for, for the mother, right? Yeah. yeah, there's a ton of animal experimental evidence. So right, right, right going back to the 1970s and the... Um, the that uh, a deficiency of DHA influences uh, visual acuity um, in preterm and term infants. And that's where it was experiment 
studies were done because you could, there was a time when infant formula didn't contain any DHA. And DHA, of course, is, 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 is a rich component of human milk. And um, so is arachidonic acid, incidentally. And human milk contains both of these fatty acids. So, um, yeah, yeah it, it, it was quite uh, a, um, an important issue that they were, had available to them the possibility to do studies of infants fed without these components of human milk and infants where they added these components to the milk. And particularly the work, I like the work of Susan Carlson in Memphis and, and um, uh, Eileen Birch and the Retina Foundation in Dallas and those Bob Gibson and Matriva Radius in, in McCrady's in, in Australia and Stuart in um, Scotland, all showing the same thing, that especially in preterm, healthy preterm infants, if they didn't get the DHA, they uh, lost, uh, Eileen Birch talks about it, one and a half lines of the eye chart visual acuity which is quite significant. And they also lost certain uh, uh, cognitive measures as well. And there was a huge study that was done by um, Joe Hilburn at the National Institutes of Health in America in collaboration with Gene Golding at, in Bristol in England called the um, Ausberg study, the Avon Longitudinal Study. Um, and there was a study of 14,000 pregnancies. and what they did was to study what the mother, the mother during the pregnancy, and then they followed the children up to eight years of age. And they found after controlling for 27 different confounding factors that behavioral scores such as verbal IQ, motor function, and um, social scores, things like that, were a straight line function depending on the amount of fish and seafood that the mother ate during the pregnancy. Straight line. The more she ate during the pregnancy, the better the outcome of the children uh, in motor and behavioral scores at eight years of age. This is the biggest, the longest observational study ever been done. And it is totally convincing because there's no way you can get around it. Um, people have been trying to uh, dismiss the study, but it, it is just um, totally robust. And, and they're still working on, on the outcome of this today and finding exactly the same. The, the, the study has never been shaken. It was published in 2007. And the, the, but the, there's experimental data in, in, in humans, infants, and animals galore to demonstrate links with cognition and vision. That's that's a profound study, and and I, I remember finding out about that and, and being extremely convinced. And I was you know trying to coerce my sister to eat as much seafood and DHA during her her pregnancies. Um, but it, it it really is incredible. So so my I guess the priority is obviously for the pregnant mother to yeah eat as much seafood DHA as possible. But then as well you know in the 
developing brain age, right? Just childhood in general, it would be really important to consume that as well, right? Is there kind of a priority there or? Um, oh, yeah. I, I, I think that the, the, if, you, if you stop and think about it, that's, that's the, um, they would have had a, a GHA trace element rich food. All the time. Day. Yeah. All the time. And the pressure, the epigenetic pressure or enhancement of neurodevelopment would have been present all the time, leading to this. Uh, huge brain sizes of Cro-Magnon between 1,500 and 1,700 cranial capacities. Um, and uh, we're, we're now going in reverse. And, and it's not just IQ, because in fact, a lot of people say, uh, yeah, boo, IQ, it's just a funny thing. Um, but mental Ill health has been escalating as well. And in 2000, let me get this right. In 2005, the European Union uh, carried out an audit of health costs. They they started in 2004. They published the data in 2005. And brain disorders came top of the list at 386 billion euros. Now, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, boo, this is all just due to clever... uh, Psychiatric um, psychologist um, definitions Di- of diagnosis, uh, yeah, new, 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 new things, and um, so they did it again, two thousand and ten, and that came out at seven hundred and eighty-nine billion euros, nearly double. And the, isn't this we, something that you predicted uh, in the seventies? Yeah, well, yeah, we, we predicted this, and that, yeah. absolutely. I mean, the the um, uh, uh, Graham Rose in the Sunday Times reviewed a book that my wife and I wrote called What We Eat Today in 1972. Um, he said, and, uh, you know, unless we do something about uh, caring for the nutrition of the brain, we're going to become a race of morons. This is in the 5th of November, 1972, an article by Graham Rose in the, in the Sunday Times. So what we wrote in the book, which was obviously a distillation of the research work we've been doing with Andrew Sinclair at the time. What we wrote, wrote in the book was pretty obvious to the, the, the fellow in the layperson um, who reviewed it in the Sunday Times. And, we, we, and the problem was that nobody's done anything about it. And, and you come to 2005 when the European Union did this audit and came up with brain disorders as top of the list, and repeat in 2010, you'd think somebody would do something about it. Well, we tried to do something about it. We we got Lord Morris at the House of Lords to ask questions about it, in, in, and um, uh, the, the, the uh, Lord Warner, who was minister, uh, representing the Ministry of Health at the time, said, well, we don't know about the cost of, of, of uh, mental illness. <laughs> but he did admit that the cost of drugs in hospitals for mental health since 1992 had escalated hugely. And given credit, um, they did the numbers for the UK. And Jonas at the Department of Health did the numbers, and, and she and her team came up with uh, an audit with, with the cost of brain disorders. Again, like Europe, top of the list at £77 billion. 
77 billion through the UK. Again, there was all this Yahoo business, it's just new diagnostic. So she did it again in 2010. And in 2010, the cost had escalated to 105 billion. The Wellcome Trust then waited in as an independent. We've got to have an independent assessment. Listen, and in 2013, they reported a, a cost of 113 billion. It's just been going up and up and up, and nobody, nobody, nobody has, nobody has done anything about it. It is astonishing that you have four governmental audits and one independent audit saying that brain disorders are the topmost concern in public health. And nobody does anything about it. It is inconceivable, totally inconceivable. Are you self-employed or a small business owner and are tired of paying hundreds of dollars a month to centralized health insurance companies for minimal coverage because there is no alternative? Well, I have good news for you. There is. And this podcast is brought to you by CrowdHealth. CrowdHealth is a more decentralized alternative to health insurance, and it uses community and crowdfunding to help its members pay for emergencies when they do happen. They incentivize and prioritize health and personal responsibility and share the thought that you should really only be using the centralized healthcare system when emergencies do happen. This is what I am on board with, and I have personally signed up for CrowdHealth since I left the corporate engineering world and the medical benefits that come with it. If you want to learn more, you can check out our episode with CEO and founder Andy Schoonover, or you can head over to joincrowdhealth.com and use code DRADIO, D-R-A-D-I-O, when you sign up to get a discounted rate of only $99 for the first three months. Centralized healthcare is one of the biggest issues in our society today, and I really love what CrowdHealth is doing to provide an alternative for people who care. Well, they're doing something, right? They're uh, they're prescribing a bunch of medications to these folks. Uh, that's about all I can think of it. And it's really sad, right? Because we we have this chronic disease epidemic, and a lot of it is in the neurological world. And there are, right. you know, so, so much sound research out there about things like DHA, um, just the lack of connection to to the natural world in general. But I want to stick on what folks can do because what's recommended today is is kind of very all over the board in terms of during pregnancy during you know infancy of of what you should feed your child and you know there's this very obvious study that you're presenting 14,000 um children that have been followed correlating IQ to seafood consumption where most doctors would probably tell pregnant mothers to be very wary of seafood consumption due to mercury and other toxins oh, no. and things like that. So, so what do you say to folks uh, about that, about the concern for heavy metals and toxin exposure in, in seafood? This, this, this is a, the Food and Drug Administration of the United States that came out with this. Um, I, I, I better... Be careful about what I say. Oh, you, you can speak but, freely on this show. Don't worry. <laughs> but it, it is a completely unscientific statement. And it's, I'm convinced, and, and, and other colleagues of mine who've been working in the same field are totally convinced, Joe Hibbert in particular, and Phil Spiller 
who was aware of the FDA himself, is deeply concerned about this, is, is wrecking the IQ of Americans, and, and it has a drip feed in, in places like the UK as well. Um, it is extraordinary that they did not consider the evidence, simple evidence, from fish-eating communities. The Japanese ladies have been eating fish and seafood um, at practically every meal throughout the week. And they have given birth to the children that have grown up to have the best longevity and the least chronic non-communicable diseases uh, of, of Western industrialized countries. Where is the evidence of neurotoxicity? It is simply not there. It just yeah. is a, it is just a scaremongering. And yeah, and that, and we don't know the, 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 the method for it. And in fact, <clears throat> Dr. Hibbert said um, in the 2007 papers I referred to that this advisory by the FDA will do harm. Now, the first thing any medical professional or anybody interested in, in human health the first priority is not to do harm. Well, it's not the only priority by any means, but it is a first priority is not to do harm. And um, this is doing harm. I mean, it, it, it's perfectly clear there was a, a big meeting in the um, of uh, NOAA in, in the um, Hawaii, funnily enough, several years ago when a lady uh, gave data to show that Women in America were saying, oh, there's, there's this toxic stuff in, in fish. <clears throat> they say you should only eat two, two fish a week or something. I'm not going to eat any. I know this has almost certainly been responsible for a number of children losing out on their full genetic heritage in terms of intent. And it is tragic. And... Um, <clears throat> Hilburn and, and Phil Spiller are, are busy writing papers trying to alert the general public to the falsehood of this advisory. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's quite ironic when they're the same uh, administrations advising on other things that contain mercury to inject into children and other things like that. But, you know, who, who are we to question the, the FDA, but you know, it could, it, it could be a concern for, for some people, but they're, they're easy ways, you know, sardines, salmons, you know, mollusks, crustaceans, they have very low mercury levels anyway. I mean, not that many yeah. people are eating sharks and, and whales, which would have a lot higher content um but but i think it's fascinating and and something that also comes up um quite a bit in the diet world and in general when you categorize omega-3s um all together which i think is very um a wrong way to do it because a lot of things have omega-3s but not a lot of things have dha and then dha yeah. Yeah. In, in the correct uh form so i kind of want to get into that a little bit um, you mentioned earlier about alpha linoleic acid being or linolenic acid being very low 
conversion to DHA. So is it pretty much impossible to get sufficient DHA from a plant-based diet? Would you would you say it's not impossible, but it, you can get some. But the point is that uh, um, uh, we're not talking about trying to maintain what we've got. Uh, we're talking about um, the evolution mm. and the forward thrusting that, that took us from 340 cc's cranial capacity to 1,500 to 1,700. Um, it's that sort of thing. is is a totally different ball game for you and I to keep what we've actually got. And um, yes, you can. Uh, it, it's possible to uh, um, make some DHA from alpha-linolenic acids, but the, the, and there are different genetic capabilities. Uh, Tom Brenner in Austin has shown this very clearly that uh, some genes allow for better. Version than others, mm-hmm. and so that means that some people are better than others in in um, in, in making these things. In India, for example, um, uh, you have uh, huge vegetarian communities, and they do better at making DHA. But but India has the highest prevalence of low birth weight and preterm births on the planet. Mm. And they're all inland people. You go to the fishing villages in Kerala and you don't see any of this um, problem. You don't see any goiter. You don't see any iodine deficiency. Um, and you don't, you see very little of this uh, uh, preterm birth and low birth weights in fishing villages and fishing communities. And, and, and the same in Indonesia where I, I, I did some work. With the Indonesian government in the 19, early 1990s, the same story. 60% of the school children inland had palpable goiter, but none in the fishing villages. And the, the, the Indonesian government at the time, with Salvan Kayati, the Ministry of Health, was concerned about the fact that the um, uh, low uh, intelligence of a lot of the people in Indonesia, because of uh, he he had, had identified it that the, the the reason for it was because of this lack of fish and seafood, and the uh, and the solution that we came up with was to grow kelp, because it's difficult to transfer in a hot, humid country. It's difficult to transfer fish inland unless you've got refrigeration, and a lot of the places they don't have that kind of thing. So, but they dry fish. And, but kelp, of course, can be dried, and it contains all this stuff as well as the trace element. And it can be used not only for food, it can also be used to feed the animals, and it can be used as, as fertilizer to put the iodine and other trace elements back into the soil. So and they've done this now. Huge, a huge area. And, and it's absolutely huge where they are growing kelp. And it's interesting because the kelp farmers are um, uh, making more money than the inland farmers because they're exporting a lot of it to places like China and Japan and so on. So, so getting um, DHA from the ALA conversion is, is not realistic, but if you do eat kelp, um, it could provide some yeah. amount yes. of DHA. So what if we fed like all our lamb 
like large amounts of kelp would they would they have way more dha then and their fat <laughs> yeah funny enough there, there are there's, there's a scottish island i can't remember which one it is where the sheep were um mm-hmm. ex- the feral sheep were excluded from the inland farming community by building walls and things like that and the sheep sheep are, uh, are dependent on grazing what little grass there is left on them and the, the, sea, the sea weeds, and they, they actually have more in their liver. We studied it. And yes, yes, it's uh, perfectly possible. It's, uh, it's very, in fact, this, this takes us into a completely other, different realm. It, it takes us into the solution for the, um, uh, the, 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 the reverse evolution of the brain. It takes us into a solution for uh, reversing mental ill health and reversing all these brain disorders, and that is to start farming in the sea. To start reversing the decline in the fishing um, communities. Uh, this is what the Japanese have been doing between two islands off Okayama. They have a huge area where they've. We, 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 on land, we plant grass pastures for cows, sheep, and so on and so forth. And what Dr. Takahiro Tanaka has been doing um, between these islands is to plant marine grasses. And his, oh, he has marine pastures in places where the, where the whole ecology of the um, seabed had been destroyed by trawling. They were just sort of muddy flats and so on. And he's now got huge areas of marine grass, and, and this 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 provides for the young fish to to develop, and and the vegetarian fish provides food for them, of course. And he's planted um, uh, <clears throat> marine. Um, artificial reefs. He has seven target species, <clears throat> and of these seven target species, they have they studied the ecology of the reproductive behaviour, and so he has got seven target uh, artificial reefs that are designed to enhance the surface area in the marine environment in an ecological way that is consistent with the reproductive pattern of the individual species. For example, one of the species likes is going into holes. So he's got a, a, a reef with a whole lot of holes in it. And planted, he planted in the area where they were mostly doing their reproduction. And he trebled fish productivity. And he's, of course, he's got oyster rafts and mussels and all the rest of the colors in, in that. And, and this is the way to go. You know, yeah, Forsyth produced a report for government uh, a few years ago, and they said that there is no more land available for arable use. In fact, arable land is diminishing because of expansion of urbanization. And um, they so they asked for more intensive use of what agricultural land that we have. Yeah. But with population adding another billion in a 10 years' time, um, we have to find a solution, and the solution has got to be the oceans. We've got to start farming in the oceans, like the Japanese are doing, and the Chinese have been doing it for donkey's years. Uh, and of course, the Indonesians are showing the way forward with these this huge, uh, vast area of um, of kelp production. So, so the idea is the marine grass farming will bring back more uh, seafood populations that have been decimated yeah. from overfishing and trolling and things yeah. like that? Yeah. 
That's incredible. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the same principle as, as, as feeding sheep and cows. And yeah. It's exactly the same principle. But in the sea. And um, the marine, uh, I have a, a, um, a video from Oman where I, I was an advisor to a research council for quite I, uh, the, the previous sultan had said, um, said to us, I, I want to know what I'm going to do after oil. So I wrote a report for this, and it included a very simple statement that you've got um, desert on one hand and sea on the other. The answer lies in the sea. And they've already got 350 hectares of, of um, under artificial reefs, and they sent me a video of this. And after two years, it's incredible the amount of uh, marine flora that has grown on these artificial reefs it's just unbelievable and and it, 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 it's um it's just this doesn't require like aquaculture feeding fish or anything like that it just it requires enhancing the ecological conditions for improvement of the productivity of the marine system it's simple and it of course produces economic benefit from the, the restoration of the jobs for the people who were once fishing people. I like it. I like it a lot. I, I think it's cool, too, because you could probably regenerate a, a underwater ecosystem faster than an above land one because just of the yeah. lifespan of fish, is the reproduction cycles are, are much faster than, say, yeah. cattle or sheep, um, et cetera. So, so that makes a lot of sense to me. But I, I want to get back to quickly just the type of... DHA in, in food. So something that has been kind of coming up more and more and that I've learned about is the importance of DHA being in the SN2 position um, for proper absorption, utilization in the body. Um, can you maybe talk about what the positions, the SN positions are in at a high level and then where do we find that? Uh, obviously in seafood, I believe is is, is most common, right? Yeah, well, um, I mean, this is nature, and um, nature has rules. They're basically based on physics and chemistry. And the cell membrane, which organizes the, this external structure and interface with the environment, and the internal structures of the powerhouse, the mitochondria, the reticular endothelium, the proteins to synthesize, the nuclear envelope, and all like that, are made up with membrane lipids, two layers of, of, of lipids. And <clears throat> these are phospholipids, phosphoglycerides. And um, it's, they're, they're, the fact of the matter is that you have two positions in the phosphoglycerides, SN1, which is in the outer, and SN2, which is, so to speak, in the middle. And nature, you ask her why she did this, but um, uh, nature decided that um, the SN2 would be occupied by an unsaturated fatty acid, mm -hmm. whereas SN1 would be occupied by a saturated fatty acid. So what you see is that in all the 
cell membranes. The lipids that are made, make up the membrane. You have polyunsaturated fatty acids in the SN2 position and uh, saturated fatty acids in the SN1 position. And it's, um, it's as simple as that. Uh, so that all food you get that has been produced by nature, such as everything that's in the marine food web, and all the land-based food as well, will have, if you eat from the animals, you will get exactly the same SN2 with polyunsaturated fatty acids and SN1 saturated. And, of course, DHA is polyunsaturated, if you like, with the head of the polyunsaturated group with six unsaturated bonds. And um, it is always in the SN2, except, with one exception, in the photoreceptor, mm. where there's so much of it, it actually creeps into the SN1 as well, and you get di-DHA. I think I mentioned this, this di-DHA, which you actually find in the dinoflagellates, uh, which is a representative of what might have happened 600 million years ago to your own eyeball. That's the only place really to find DHA in the SN1 position. It's in both, but it's predominantly in the SN2. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, fundamentally, I think again, the the takeaway is is to eat whole food sources of, uh, you know, DHA omega threes. But but this kind of leads me to another important topic. And you mentioned this earlier about refrigeration being needed for seafood transportation. And I believe that's because these, you know, PUFAs, polyunsaturated fatty acids such as DHA, they're very easily oxidized. And this yeah. is something that I'm very interested in talking about and hearing your perspective because, you know, consuming seafood, um, you can do it many ways. A lot of the folks that we seem to be referring to here is doing it the right way in Japan, uh, eat seafood raw. Um, yeah. So how does this, how does cooking affect the availability, the oxidation of DHA, is it best to eat it raw? And then tying this in to fish oil supplements, which are often touted and um, kind of sitting on the shelf, potentially rancid due to this oxidation. Um, so yeah, your thoughts on, on that as well. Well, <clears throat> yeah. Um, the uh, one of the good things about um, some of these big fishing ships is that, in fact, they process the fish as caught. And a lot of the processing ends up with large quantities of frozen fish, frozen cod, for example, frozen cod sticks. Well, that is as good as eating it straight out of the ocean. Um, there's no question about it. I mean, there's a length of time you can keep it frozen, but I mean, for a month or so, it's not a problem. And um, so there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's hugely beneficial to have frozen stuff because, as you quite rightly say, 
um, fishes uh, very quickly uh, rancidifies. But um, <clears throat> cooking, uh, well, cooking is important from the point of view in case there are any parasites that might be in the wild caught stuff. Um, and uh, it, it doesn't really affect the DHA concentration that much. And um, so it's, uh, I wouldn't worry. Uh, the point about fish, of course, is it hardly needs any cooking at all. I mean, we, we get a lump of cod, put it in the frying pan. Um, and, and one of the reasons for this is nice to have the, the skin a little bit crispy. And, 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 and two minutes is cooked. And it would be quite nice to pour a little bit of white wine on it or something to, to just to, uh, make, a, make a sauce. But um, the cooking of fish, it, it cooks it more or less cooks itself. It hardly needs any cooking at all. And the, the shorter the cooking time, the tastier it's going to be anyway. <clears throat> Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. So, so what do you think about fish oil supplements um, and potentially being rancid or not being indicative of the whole food source? Well, the thing is, this this you can um, you can uh, um, tell whether it's if you buy it in capsules and and you bite on the capsule, you'll soon tell whether the stuff is is good or rancid. Um, uh, I, I, I use fish oil straight from the bottle because you know perfectly well whether this is rancid or not. Because if, if, it, if it's rancid, it will really hurt the back of your throat. So, um, but in terms of of uh, uh, how good are supplements? Because supplements are, are, are okay. They are not. A replacement for fish and seafood because they, they don't have all this other accessory nutrients that are so important. But they are better than nothing, so to speak. And um, I, I think the, the important thing is that uh, there isn't any point in having these supplements and, and then going out and having a, a fast food full of junk and all that kind of stuff at the same time. It, it really, to for health, you need to have a holistic approach to, to, to what's it being eaten, and not, not just this. The supplements are better than nothing, as I said, but um, um, they don't replace the, the real stuff. And of course, a lot of the studies that have um, <clears throat> been done to demonstrate uh, cognitive and, and um, other functional aspects of of the neurological system have been done with supplements, so they do. They are they they can be beneficial. <clears throat> yeah, I I agree. I think it's kind of it helped me in my brain injury recovery, and I tried to find the highest quality brand I could. But now I'd rather just eat it from the whole food source. And I think mm -hmm. the same discussion goes for farmed fish versus wild caught fish. I think there's a yeah. spectrum of farmed fish um, obviously some of them are, are pretty abysmal in quality but they're starting yeah. to pop up more and more higher quality fish farms and you know probably average farm fish is better than no fish right so do you no. do you share that same perspective or, or what, what do you think about farmed farm fish and how that plays into i guess the greater role of getting more of the population to eat seafood 
with yeah. the sustainability issue? Well, I think the, the aquaculture, development of aquaculture has, has, has been a huge, made a huge contribution to health. Um, uh, it, it, <clears throat> the problem really is that um, it's, it's not the answer at the end of the day. The real answer is to use the natural system and, and just enhance it. Um, the problem with aquaculture is, as I'm sure you're well aware, you have to feed the fish. And they've run out of, of the um, uh, wild fish to, um, and wild fish offal too. But, 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 but hang on a, a minute. Um, <clears throat> this idea of farming in the oceans would, would produce not just enhanced productivity, but all of stuff to eat. To also produce tails and heads and a lot of offal that could be used for agriculture. But at the moment, they have a problem and, and they've been using chickens and um, uh, and I believe uh, chicken feathers and, and um, I believe also they are using vegetable oils and they say oh it doesn't matter because we we use the vegetable oils for and then, and then just before we're going to harvest them we we add fish oils and that changes but but it's not the same by any means and um, they've been losing out on the DHA content as far as I'm told uh, quite significantly. But if 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 we were uh, to develop <clears throat> some of our coastline, we were, we were in the UK. We have this our island nations. We have this massive coastline. We have a lot of islands which became depopulated with the, uh, the diminishing fish catches and things like that, and um, depopulated for other reasons as well. Uh, and a lot of places that were fishing ports. That are no longer uh, Edinburgh. Take Edinburgh for example. Leith used to be the most wonderful fishing port. It's now a, 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 a sort of a popular habitat for um, a, a, one of the, the royal family's ships or something like that as a museum. And it's no longer the, the wonderful fishing port it was in the days of my youth, because the, the further forth has been destroyed. And we've really got to get to grips with this kind of thing. Stop the nonsense of polluting the, the seas and reversing um, our fish consumption by um, developing the coastal resources. <clears throat> yeah, it's uh, it seems like a lot of innovation could really proliferate the the space, and it's it's there for the taking. I think. Um, yeah. You know, there there's definitely a, a fleeting um, fish supply, wild caught, and it's becoming very expensive for people um, yeah. to to buy high quality fish. That's what I realize, and, and it's hard for me, um, especially being inland. Um, I buy you know pasture raised beef and lamb locally. It's really yeah. high quality, but um, like we talked via email, that you know people who would have lived inland. They would have been catching freshwater fish, and and freshwater fish are, are even worse because all the rivers and streams and they're super super polluted. So I think the fish farming kind of industry, if it cleans up its act, could be really helpful for societal health. And I guess that would be kind of my one of my last points here for for this part is talking about yeah freshwater fish consumption and farming and 
and your work. You've done some work on on conservation and, and pollution of the environment in general, and for you know decades ago, and things haven't gotten much better, unfortunately. They have in some places, but I think we still have a long way to go, right? Oh, it is. It's um, we have really. Um, I was going to use a rude word, Marshal, but we've really messed up um, uh, our coastal waters. So it's disadvantage. I mean, <clears throat> when I was at school, um, I was at school at a monastery in the north of Scotland, and the monks would go out and catch salmon for Friday dinner. And um, uh, in Port Augustus, there was a canal, and whenever a, an American boat was seen entering the Grand Canal, during the war, uh, to um, <clears throat> avoid the, being shot at by the German submarines, um, the sometimes would, would would beat out the message. The monks would take the boat out and catch uh, a sound. They would put anything below twenty five pounds back in the water, and they would catch a fish and they would hold it up as, as American boat get caught in the, in the locks at Port Augustus and swap it for American cigarettes. I mean, the, the lock was just full of fish, and the rivers were full of fish. Um, and and it, it's all gone. And it's absolutely tragic what we've done with um, uh, uh, the pollution and the overfishing as well. Um, when I was a child, my father used to take us to Kramer's Inn to celebrate something or other, and he was always great for celebrating things. Kramer's Inn was renowned for its um, fresh seafood. It was in the mouth of the Almond River going into the first of four. <clears throat> and when I came back from Africa in 1965, <clears throat> I mean, that, 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 the proprietor at that time used to get it. The reason why it was so 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 popular was he would gather the seafood fresh from the first and fourth in the morning for people to have for their dinner in the evening. <clears throat> so in 1965, when I came back from Africa, I said to our family living in Edinburgh, Let, let's go on a trip down memory lane. <clears throat> and we went down to, drove down to Palmerton, walked, it was July, a beautiful day, walk to the foreshore to have a look at this wonderful bridge, you know, the big iron bridge. And, and we were greeted with a brand new Department of Environment notice. Danger. Muscles unfit for human consumption. There's no more fresh seafood in the Cromantin. In my lifetime, the first of fourth has been destroyed from a once rich food resource to something that is now so dangerous, the vets tell dog walkers to keep their dogs on leash if they're walking around the coastline in case they eat poisonous seafood. This has happened in my lifetime. It is absolutely awful. That's so heartbreaking to hear, really. I mean, it's just, um, yeah, tragic. It's an, an understatement. It's unacceptable in all fronts. Is that due to 
just chemical industry, petro- like what is the what was the cause of that, or what's the main cause in in the UK? I know in the US, it's it's a whole slew of industrial um, plants and runoff, military, everything. Oh, it's industrial. It's in um, uh, it's 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 uh, um, sewage, untreated sewage. It's um, um, and farming as well as runoff from mm-hmm. farming, causing herbicides, causing pesticides, things. glyphosate. Yeah, yeah everything. A whole, whole, whole bank shooting match. Um, I remember my, we lived in a place called Barnton, just on the outskirts of Edinburgh, and the River Armand used to go around bottom of a, a field, a farm, than the other side of the wall of our garden. And um, <clears throat> my father and his friends used to go down and fish in the river. And then they built a, a paper factory. And the paper factory started using the water from the river arm to clean out all its stuff. And it was killing all the fish. Mm. And, and this was this is the sort of start of it. Um, this was once rich, rich river was killed by by a paper factory. Yeah, I mean, there's just countless examples of this, it, and it's so sad. But you know, I think if there is deliberate effort to clean these areas up, the ecosystem can recover, and we've seen that in. Oh yeah. In- few cases so so there is optimism it's just we just need yeah. to make this a priority um yeah. and you know the oysters and, and other you know f- filter feeders are, are kind of good ways to start that process and we, yeah. the nature is resilient we just need to give it a chance i can so, i certainly agree with that yes yeah, so we've just got to do it and i mean the japanese are doing it the chinese are doing it the indonesians are doing it um, and there are other examples around the world and in America as well, where people are actually uh, turning to the marine environment for uh, the, the next generation of um, food production. And uh, it requires uh, cleaning up our act. And in fact, in the Declaration of Manila in 2012, there was one, I think there was two declarations, one 2008, 2012, was in fact for, for the far eastern countries to clean up their pollution. This was built into the declaration of 2012. So people are conscious of it and people are doing things about it. But we, we need to accelerate it. And, and um, particularly in the UK, we could become self-sufficient in food. Well, there's a massive great coastline and lots of yeah. islands with pristine water all around them. Um, they could be uh, used for enhancing the ecosystem and, and um, taking benefit from it. And yeah, it, it, it not only not only does it provide food and food for the brain and heart as well, but it also helps ocean acidification and climate change. Because you start growing a kelp forest, it's just the same as the Amazon forest. It fixes CO2. And the same, once you start enhancing the marine food web, you have to enhance the photosynthetic stuff. And what does the photosynthetic stuff do but suck out CO2? 
Yeah, it's a it's a win win across the board. I think. Um, Absolutely. So, so I would encourage anyone in your local legislation, whether you're the UK or the US or anywhere. I mean, make make it a priority, right? Because you just heard how important DHA and you know the vital nutrients in seafood are for IQ for brain development across the board. Um, we want to continue this evolution in a positive direction, not have a D evolution. And um, that only happens if we have seafood available to eat. So I would say, yeah, thank you so much for, for your work in this space. Uh, I think we'll maybe put a wrap on, on this part of the conversation. I think it's been fantastic and we can dive deeper into the quantum biology side of DHA, which I definitely want to do. And um, yeah, I think it's a, a really important summary discussion for, for people to understand just how significant these nutrients have been in our evolution and now in our lives and our brain development and our cognition yeah. today. Well, they should read our book, The Shrinking Brain. That's right. So the shrink, that's right. The Shrinking Brain, I think you just released it a few months ago. Um, and, and that's discussing everything in this realm and, and, and the, the yeah. evolution of the human brain, from my understanding. Yeah, yeah. And, and more than that, it also helps restore the importance of Darwin's concept with regards to the importance of the environment, which has been rubbed out in recent times. <clears throat> Is there? Do you have a website for that, or is Amazon a good place to get it? It's on Amazon. The book's on Amazon. Okay. We should get a website, but um, uh, at the moment we're so busy with so many damned other things. So, well, you uh, got so much good research coming out, and you know, it's 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 great to see this kind of still um, being worked on and being pushed as a priority. So we'll we'll have to link that below, but. Yeah, th thank you, Michael. And yeah, we'll have to continue Pleasure. this conversation. Um, thanks, everyone. Tune in for, for part two and we'll, we'll dive deeper into the quantum biology of, of DHA.